that as far as I'm concerned, the entire country of Canada is acting inconsistent with religious and political freedom. I mean, starting with uh, the prohibition on a Christian law school that that uh, teaches, you know, very non-controversial as far as the Christian world is concerned, views on on marriage. I mean, you know, this is these are biblically centrist views, and uh, you know what's what's going on with uh, you know freezing the accounts, uh, various things, and then where they were on Christianity and homosexuality. You know, so one teacher wrote a letter to the editor about the biblical views on, 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 on homosexuality, and he lost his teaching license. And so mm-hmm. uh, you have high taxes up there. And so, uh, you know, sales tax is not only federal, but, but the provincial. And so a substantial amount of what I would spend up there would go to the government. And although I don't want to injure individual Canadians, particularly, you know, Christian Canadians, nevertheless, a substantial amount of what I would 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 pay would be uh, would be for taxes, but the bottom line is I'm simply unwilling to to uh, fund or promote the the government of, of Canada. They're mm. just as far as I'm concerned, they're enemies of religious freedom. Hello and welcome to Freedom Feature. I'm your host Barry Bussey. With me today, I have a law professor from the United States joining me. His name is Bruce Cameron, who's the Reed Larson Professor of Labor Law at Regent University School of Law. He's also on staff with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, which was ranked second in the United States of all law firms before the U.S. Supreme Court at First Amendment litigation. And so, Bruce, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today. I'm, I'm delighted to be with you, Barry. You know, I uh, have known you for years. I appreciate your work, and I'm uh, glad to be here with you. Well, thank you. So, Bruce, can you just tell me a little bit about you, your work uh, as a law professor, and also your involvement with labor law? It's the delight of my life that I'm able to teach at an overtly Christian law school, which is Regent University School of Law. I teach uh, labor law there, and I teach employment discrimination, and I run something called the Right to Work Practicum. And in that uh, practicum, students work with me on uh, on litigation funded by the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Mm -hmm. And so uh, students at Regent have been able to uh, work on briefs before the United States Supreme Court. So it's it's a rare opportunity. Uh, Some lawyers never have anything before the U.S. Supreme Court in their entire life. And at Regent, students can come and work with me and potentially work on briefs before the U.S. Supreme Court. Having a case before the Supreme Court is like lightning striking. Uh, uh, for the foundation, lightning has struck at least 18 times, and we've actually had 22 cases that were uh, decided by, by the court, some on a summary basis. So that's that's the great thing about my uh, educational career. I'm, I'm a, a full-time uh, professor. In addition, I've been on, on staff for 46 years with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, and I came to them because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, the church has historically taught that that uh, church members should not join or financially support a labor union. And the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation uh, told me when I was in law school that they gave 
free legal aid to employees who wanted to stand apart from a labor union. So God led me there in 46 years. I'm, I'm still there. I'm, I'm now semi-retired with, with the foundation. But it's, it's such a, a powerhouse organization. A few years ago, we persuaded the United States Supreme Court to rule that it was unconstitutional for a public employee to have to join or financially support a labor union. So every Seventh-day Adventist in the United States, every person who has religious or political objections to supporting a labor union and who is a public employee is now free. They have no obligation to join or financially support a labor union. Mm. So foundation is very successful. I'm just wanting to open up that a little bit uh, because a lot of people I know, uh, particularly of uh, those in the Canadian audience that would be watching this program, there are religious groups in Canada who encourage their members not to be a member of a labor union. But from your experience, what is the conscientious objection to joining a labor union of your clients? Well, with regard to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I mean, you know, my, my background, uh, Paul says you should work for your employers if you were working for God. Mm. You know, would you strike against your employer? Would you uh, try to bully your employer? Um, uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventists uh, um, uh, hold that uh, Ellen White is, is a prophet. Ellen White spoke very sharply against uh, unions, and, and she was exactly right. She said they will uh, limit individual freedom. I mean, labor unions are, after all, collective. They speak for the collective, and they uh, discourage individuals, and so individual rights. I mean, they're collectivist and they're not toward individuals. Mm. And so that's what I call the classic objection to um, labor unions. The National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation helped me to uh, be able to pioneer this right for non-Adventists. I was concerned that only Adventists had this right to say, essentially. So I started representing people who are not Adventists and their objections have been to what I would call the social political views of unions. For example, unions almost uniformly support abortion. Uh, they support same-sex marriage. Uh, they support things that are inconsistent with the traditional understanding of the Bible. So uh, my big breakthrough case was on behalf of a Catholic who was a professor at a Jesuit university, and he didn't want to support the National Education Association, which, by the way, is a very strong pro-abortion lobby. Mm. Uh, he didn't want to support them, and he was fired by the Jesuits. They were going to stand by the union as opposed to their professor. Well, praise God, we beat them and established the fact that uh, if you were uh, an employee and the union promoted abortion, if you oppose the union, associating with the union, supporting the union for that reason, you're entitled to redirect all of your union fees to a charity. And mm. so that, that's the law in the United States right now. We, we do have similar kinds of accommodations are made. However, in Canada, the way it works is that the labor unions are governed by the provincial law. So it's a, an issue for various provinces. So various provinces have different accommodation levels. So there are some provinces that it's very difficult to be accommodated and others that are very accommodating. I was involved in uh, a number of cases over the years myself in, in practice. And it was uh, fascinating to see that oftentimes we would get 
right to the labor board itself. And at the steps of the labor board, then that's when the labor union would say, okay, let's make a deal. Let's, we, 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 we'll accommodate. And, uh, but that's because they don't want a precedent. And I, uh, so far, we have not had a case yet to reach the Canadian Supreme Court to adjudicate as to whether or not we have a constitutional right or whether or not the issue of conscience would be something that would allow you to be exempt. But anyhow, it's, it's, it's very fascinating to see that in the United States, that is now the law. There are three aspects. The okay. Constitution, the First Amendment, protects all public employees from having to join or financially support a labor union. You mentioned provinces having different uh, rules. That's actually the case in the United States. Okay. A state can pass right-to-work laws, which prevent employees from being coerced. And there are 27 of those uh, those states that have passed uh, right-to-work laws. And, and then there's the Federal Civil Rights Act, which is Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And that's the one that protects uh, Catholics and Adventists who say, because of my faith, I can't support the uh, the union. So we really have, you know, at least three different levels of protection, uh, constitution, statutory, and then a federal statute. Yeah, we, we would have in our country, we have the human rights legislation, which are also provincial. We have as well the federal human rights uh, legislation. So tell me, how how pervasive is this issue? Are you finding that more people are making these claims today or less? Or is it just now a situation where there's uh, peace in the employment world and there's no need hardly for your services? Oh, well, we, we, we still have employees that contact us. I will say this, after 46 years of suing labor unions over this, they seem to be less uh, excited about trying to coerce conscience. And so, okay. and so we have, we, we, we have uh, fewer uh, active opponents. For example, I just settled the case in, in Tennessee on behalf of a, a dear woman. She had just converted to Catholicism and uh, she realized that the union was promoting abortion. So she, she contacted the union and said, please accommodate me. And it turned out that the union lawyer was a Catholic, and he told her that she didn't understand her faith, uh, that he was an, an expert. He had gone to Catholic schools, and, and he was an expert in uh, Catholic theology, and, and she simply didn't know what she was talking about. Mm. Well, she had accompanied her, her request for an accommodation with uh, a letter from her parish priest. So the uh, lawyer said, your priest doesn't <laughs> know either. And so he sent some remedial reading to them so they could could read up on this. Well, she contacted me because I've litigated on behalf of so many Catholics. I understand the encyclicals and 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 uh, this guy didn't begin to understand the encyclicals like I did. So I wrote him a letter <laughs> saying that he didn't know what he was talking about. Obviously, you know, debate over religion is, is not what the courts are are looking for. They're looking to right. see whether or not the, the faith is sincere. But but Barry, to your point about, you know, do they um, how do things go? Well, the uh, there are a couple of very high level union defense firms in the United States on the East Coast. The top firm, in fact, their most senior lawyer was contacted by this union at the international level to represent them. He came in, he saw this. He saw I was on the other side. He saw the facts and he said, we're settling this case. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. And so uh, actually my client had no interest in settling. I had no interest in settling, but at some point, you know, if you don't settle when the other side wants to settle, a judge will become very angry with you potentially. So, yeah. so we settled the case. We still get calls. I mean, I looked at a couple of emails today from people who have religious objections to supporting labor unions. So your sense though, is that labor unions are now getting the message and are more likely to, although with that case you just mentioned, they're, they're not willing to, um, uh, to accommodate so so easily so they they, so, they they became willing when adult supervision entered the picture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's one of those things is when, when it comes to conscience a lot of people just simply don't get it i mean it's like you know because it doesn't affect them like that labor lawyer uh or the lawyer working for the union uh didn't get the issue of conscience and in the united states and so too in canada it's a matter of personal conviction i mean it's it's a personal conscience issue not not something that um even even if the um if the church were to be have a different point of view on the matter um that that doesn't matter in the law at least that's how it is in canada how it's supposed to be although that's being challenged now and we can uh, get into that but but uh, i would assume that in the united states it's the same thing that it is to be the individual uh, yes Right. You're exactly right. It, it, it doesn't matter what the, the church teaches. The problem that I had was that I was concerned that a judge wouldn't, and we're going back to my Catholic professor working for right. a Jesuit university. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was concerned that my, uh, that the court would look at my guy and say, well, you're, you're fired by Jesuits. You must have some odd view. And mm-hmm. so what I did to uh, avoid that is I, I hired the, uh, uh, chief canon law expert in the United States, Dr. William May, as an expert witness. <laughs> and so, uh, in fact, when I had deposed the president of, of the university, who was a Jesuit, and I was uh, cross-examining him on the Catholic encyclicals, his, uh, his hole that he was hiding in was to say, well, uh, do you read the Latin? And, and I said, no. He said, well, if you read Latin, you would understand my position. I was highly doubtful <laughs> that the, the, uh, the translations were so poor that I would understand his position. So I uh, uh, got Dr. May, who said he was willing to come to, to court and he could read the Latin and he would explain why my client was right. And the Jesuit university and the Jesuit priest that fired my client we're wrong. So, okay. Yeah. So, as you say, though, I mean, this is this this is a matter of what's the appearance of things. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter if every Catholic in the whole world disagreed with my client. The law in the United States is that individual religious belief is what's important, and whether or not it's sincere. Okay. It's just uh, I'm I'm a litigator, and I'm. I, I'm concerned about the appearance of things, and, and and so and so I wanted it to appear to the judge the way it really was, which was that my client was right and the Jesuits were wrong. Are you able to um, help us understand the conscience uh, and how it applies at law? Like, obviously, the issue of conscience is something that goes back for millennia. And well, really, ever since we've been on the on the planet, uh, ever since. Uh, 
human beings have uh, walked on the planet. We have been struggling with the issue of conscience. How do you convince a court that conscience is something that is absolutely imperative for the court to take seriously? Well, it goes back to, you know, our founding fathers, uh, Madison, uh, who is considered to be the, the author of the First Amendment, said that uh, uh, religious freedom is first in orders of precedence and, and in order of hierarchy. Mm. And so if you look at the First Amendment to the United States, it mentions freedom of religion and uh, uh, prohibitions on establishment of religion first in the First Amendment. So, so it's, it's, it's our first freedom. Mm. And, uh, and it's, uh, I think it's, it's widely understood to be that. Unfortunately, the United States is becoming increasingly secular. There are an increasing number of people who believe that religion is, in fact, a, a negative factor right. in society, not a positive factor. Mm. And so for them, they don't care about religious liberty. But so far, uh, for example, our United States Supreme Court has been very good on religious freedom. Uh, we have a, a streak of uh, First Amendment freedom of religion uh, victories that uh, is unparalleled in my lifetime. Uh, my first started practicing law. I think the uh, Supreme Court was in uh, in large part hostile to to religion. Not 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 overtly hostile, but it was just uh, you know they would protect the collective over the the individual very often. Right now, uh, we we have uh, interestingly a very large number of Catholics on the court, and and they get they get it about the First Amendment. So right, you used the term uh, religious freedom religious liberty. In your use of the term, you're using it as it is also conscience. Yes, and, I, I did conflate those two. Yeah. And, and but is there a distinction? Like in Canada, we do have that distinction in our Charter of Rights, freedom of conscience and religion. Our First Amendment uh, speaks of free exercise of religion, not conscience. Right. Right. And so we don't have a specific prohibition on limiting conscience except as it is grounded in something like religion maybe the high water case was a decision by the united states supreme court in a, there are two cases welch and seeger mm. these were both had to do with the uh, individuals who were opposed religiously opposed to serving in the vietnam war right both had said they weren't traditionally religious in fact one of them crossed out religion in his application for a religious accommodation. And what the Supreme Court ended up saying was it defined religion to be anything that is in the life of the individual that stands in the place of a supreme being. That is, if you have a view that there's something that requires you to act in a certain way or refrain from certain things, and, and that is like a, a, a religious belief in mm -hmm. a supreme being, then you are protected. So in my view, religion is expansively interpreted in the United States, and it would cover conscience in many ways. Now, uh, religion does not co uh, cover philosophical views, you know, economic views or political views as, as such. So to the extent you can draw, you know, lines between those, 
But uh, uh, courts are, are actually um, hesitant to uh, hold that religious beliefs are, are not, not sincere. There's a, a case that I teach in employment discrimination called uh, the Closier case in which the, the, uh, the employee was a member of the uh, church of body modification. And so she had piercings and tattoos and, and various decorations on her, on her face. And uh, she claimed that uh, she was a member of this church and this was part of her religious beliefs. Okay. It was uh, a questionable claim, but the court did not rule against her based on saying your religious beliefs are insincere. There's a, an old case called U.S. v. Ballard, United States Supreme Court case. And uh, when I talk to students or opposing counsel about that, I say that Ballard stands for something like, you know, a rock fell in my backyard and told me to do X or not do X. Right. If, if, if you are sincere in that, then that's protected as a matter of, of religion. So uh, we don't use the word conscience in our Bill of Rights and our First Amendment, but uh, what we end up having is, is something that's it's very similar to conscience mm. if it's based on something outside yourself, something above you. So then the, um, uh, the, the work that you're involved with, uh, working at a Christian university uh, as a professor, a lot of people were really concerned some years ago here in Canada about the whole idea of having a Christian university. There was a, a very important case that I'm sure you're aware of, uh, Trinity Western University Law School. Uh, uh, cases, I should say, because we had um, three law societies that decided they would not accredit the school. And then we had multiple uh, litigation that flowed from that. And two of the law societies ended up going up to the Supreme Court of Canada. During the whole debate within the legal academy, within the, the law profession itself, there was tremendous amount of angst about the idea of having a Christian law school in Canada. And uh, here in, uh, in the United States, you, I mean, the concept of having a Christian law school is not foreign. It's not something that, um, you know, you haven't had experience with. What is the state of, of the profession when it comes vis-a-vis the Christian law schools and and how, how many would, would there even be in the states well there there are there are a number of christian law schools uh, l- let me say with regard to the angst mm-hmm. uh those that have angst don't understand uh the world if you look worldwide a country that has religious freedom has economic freedom mm-hmm. those are almost always inextricably uh intertwined and and that's because christianity uh, stands for freedom of choice. I mean, it goes back to the Garden of, of Eden. And so uh, the, many of the uh, great mass murders of history, they're not Christians. That's because they don't, they don't value life and they don't value individual freedom. Christianity values individual freedom and life. And so my view is that uh, being a Christian is essential mm-hmm. to understanding religious liberty and affording it to your neighbor. Now, obviously in history, there are, you know, some exceptions, but not nearly what they are for, you know, the, uh, the, the, the pagan uh, political leaders who have, have killed millions and millions of, of people. So in the United States, it's, 
it's it's important. Um, uh, Regent is one of the most overtly Christian law schools. Uh, we have in, in Virginia, interestingly, we have another overtly Christian law school, and that, that's Liberty mm-hmm. uh, University. In California, uh, Pepperdine is a Christian law school, um, maybe a little less uh, overt than, than Regent, but I don't want to be, you know, <laughs> a drawing, drawing lines. Uh, there are a number of Catholic law schools in, in the United States with various levels of, of religiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there are a, a number of law schools that would tag, you know, to their name that they're, they're Christian um, uh, law school. And so the, the, the good news about this is, is this, you know, as, as society seems to be closing in on religious freedom and trying to limit it, I am training the next generation of leaders, lawyers, to litigate those, those rights. And so we have, uh, we have various, you know, graduates who are going out into the, the world. We've had a graduate who uh, ran for president. Uh, we, we have uh, a graduate who is uh, the governor of the, the state of, of Virginia in, in the past. Um, you know, various people in the legislature. Uh, current student of mine is, the, uh, is the, the chief deputy to the Virginia attorney general. And so these are, these are Christian lawyers that are out there to, to, uh, to change, change the world. At one point in the Bush administration, uh, um, uh, Bush, Bush the Younger, right. I saw an article in the Washington Post that was complaining that in the Justice Department, a third of the graduates were Regent University School of Law graduates. Right. And the Post was saying, what is with this? How, how, how can that be? Uh, why aren't they from Harvard or Yale? You know, as opposed to, to Regent? And, and the answer was, well, they were looking for people who were not hostile to their 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 point of view, and so that's you know that's that's one of the the things. In fact, last year, ten percent of our graduating class were federal law clerks. That's the gold standard for graduation from from a law school, where you're clerking for a United States federal district court judge. Wow. Imagine the ability and the impact of those students. So how large are your classes? Uh, how, how large would that uh, graduating class be? The United States is coming out of a terrible time for, for, uh, for law schools. Right. Our, our current uh, class that we've accepted, I believe, is 125 students. Okay. I think at the peak, we were at 150 or 160. Because there was just a huge contraction in the number of students who were applying to law schools a number of years ago, we had an entering class of 60. That's because the law school could decide between compromising its, its quality, you know, or, 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 uh, or compromising its income. Mm. Regent decided to compromise its income and not, and not its quality. It's, it's a great thing to have 10% of yeah. court, uh, law clerks. And, and in fact, let, let me tell you another thing that may not be well known. A Supreme Court justice... Samuel Alito is a member of the faculty uh, with with me at Regent. Uh-huh. Uh, former Attorney General Ashcroft is a member of the uh, the, the faculty. We have several uh, sitting United States Federal Court of Appeals judges who mm. are members of the faculty, and so, and so mm. a Regent is quite the place to attend. 
Yeah, no, it, it is a beautiful campus. And uh, uh, it was a great privilege of mine some years ago to be able to come down and speak and, uh, and right. uh, have a piece published in your law review, which uh, was, uh, was, was a great privilege indeed. So like, how, how is it that the relationship then between, say, secular law schools and Regent or the other uh, Christian law schools um, is there much discussion at all about taking away the accreditation of uh, Christian law schools, or is it just simply something in the United States you just don't uh, um, look under that rock? That rock certainly exists, and I'm certain that there are, are plenty in the United States that would would end uh, Regents' existence. Um, uh, there are ABA accreditations. We're at the very end of a reaccreditation, and we believe we will be reaccredited for an, another 10 years. Mm-hmm. But, there, but this is a matter of discussion, uh, what our Christian views are and, and what how they impact uh, specifically LGBTQ uh, students. Uh, Region does not discriminate uh, with regard to uh, students. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to come to, to Regent. Uh, mm-hmm. We do discriminate with regard to the faculty. You have to be a Christian in order to be a member, a member of the faculty. Right. But the, the, the great thing, Barry, is this, and, and I think this will make perfect sense to those that understand the gospel, uh, because the faculty are, are Christians and, and they're dedicated Christians. I mean, just a, a great group of, of people. We regularly have students who are converted because they see how this works out in the life of the faculty members, in the life of the the school and in their classrooms. And so I think, for example, it's a much different legal experience at Regent than it is at other places. I mean, we integrate God's law with, with human law. And uh, for example, I, I, I graduated from, from Emory. Emory is one of the top mm-hmm. law schools in the United States. Yes. And uh, when I went there, it was just combat. I, I did not enjoy it. I and mean, I just put my head down in order to survive and get through to what I wanted to be, which was to become a lawyer. Mm. But um, at Regent, uh, it's, it's not combat. I mean, the, the program is rigorous. But for example, the Princeton Law Review, uh, the students uh, have ranked Regent law professors fifth among all the law schools in the United States. We wow. regularly rank in the top 10 law schools in the United States with regard to the feedback from students, you know, those who, who graduated. So uh, uh, students enjoy being at, at Regent and, and you know, they, they realize that the faculty care about them, mm. care about their success. You know, when I graduated from, from Emory, basically they gave me a kick and said, well, you know, <laughs> go out there, you take the bar exam and so on and so forth. Yeah. We yeah. try our best to, to help our students, uh, you know, to, to pass the bar, to, we track them. We, we want to help them. Want to help them with job placements. We have one of the top job placements in in the nation among uh, law schools. Bottom line is, it's it is intended to be a positive experience for all students, and and that's and, and it's reflected in how our students uh, evaluate us. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a it's a community which uh, is community. extremely important. You know it fascinating um and this is something that um i don't think the secular world truly understands 
um, why, you know, various religious communities, i.e. Christian communities, would want to have a, a law school. And it's a real shame that Canada um, is without one. And uh, hopefully someday that will be uh, corrected and we will, in fact, have a Christian law school again. Now, I'm just curious, do you require of all your students to sign a statement of faith or anything along that nature in the admissions uh, program? No, uh, we um, uh, we require them to sign something that they that they understand that they're going to a, a Christian law school and, and that they you know will not be uh, undermining. I, I I don't remember the exact language, okay. but essentially we're not requiring them to say they're a Christian. We're not requiring them to to say that they they uh, believe as professors are required to sign a statement of faith. But they, we 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 inform them. <laughs> They didn't know that it's a, a overtly Christian law school, and and we say, look, you understand, and and so you know, uh, you're you're consistent uh, with with this program. That is, you don't have to become a Christian, but right. but we don't expect you to be uh, actively under undermining it. Yeah, and I, and I think that's extremely important. One of the things that I found disappointing was that after the Trinity Western uh, Law School lost the two cases at the Supreme Court, they, they decided to change the admissions requirements so that, uh, you know, they would no longer require the individuals to sign saying that they would not violate this um, uh, covenant um, and with respect to the um, the whole concept of marriage and so forth. But what was really disappointing was that even though they made that concession, a number of law professors across the country, commentators and so on, said, yeah, well, you still require it of your faculty. You're still required of your staff. And then people were saying, well, look, this is a Christian school. And why should we allow them to be accredited? Because they are primarily targeting Christians. So the non-Christians are not going to have the same opportunity as the Christians in attending law school. And it's like, you know, people just simply don't get it. And it, the idea that even though you're allowing now a new school to exist, which increases the numbers of uh, lost student placements, people still uh, have a struggle with the idea that you are exclusive. You know, you're you're targeting Christians to come to that to that school. And it's really in an unfortunate situation in Canada. Uh, Consider, Barry, the, the targeting. The targeting, of course, is that you can't have a Christian law school. I mean, you're talking about targeting. Yeah. That's, we won't let you exist. This is actually a problem. A law professors, and there, there are studies on, on this, law professors tend to be very liberal. Yes. So let me tell you about uh, Regent and law professors. We are a ranked law school by U.S. News and World Report. Mm -hmm. Our peer rating is something like 1.1 or 1.2. <laughs> there is no ranked law school that has such a low peer rating. And I submit to you that's purely because of anti-Christian bias. Wow. You know, you, you've been at our campus. You can see yes. the beautiful campus. Yep. You know, the, the professors are, are great people. Uh, Wonderful I facilities, law library, and the whole the whole works. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt that any one of those law professors that gives us this very low ranking has ever been to Regent. Uh, right. One of the professors said, one of the the most senior professors said, "I've never had anyone come to Regent and say, oh, 
this is less than I expected. <laughs> Everybody yeah. says, wow, you know, this, yeah. this, this, this is great. And so yeah. I think this is pure anti-Christian bias, right. you know, or maybe political bias because they somehow would say, well, because you're Christians, you're politically conservative. You know? Right. Well, that's fascinating. And I tip my hat to you guys uh, down there. You've got a wonderful program, wonderful people that I've met personally. And um, and having individuals of high caliber like yourself being able to ensure that the young people are able to have that experience of even being involved in cases that are at the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, that's invaluable uh, for a budding law student, a budding legal uh, who, who wants a, a legal career. And uh, so there's a lot that you folks offer there. Well, God, God is kind to me. I consider this an absolute blessing to be at Regent and able to do that, as I consider it an absolute blessing to be at the Right to Work Foundation and, and have them fund these religious liberty cases. In fact, the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation funds everything that I do. I mean, they're the foundation that gives me this you know, Reed Larson uh, professorship, so... Yeah, that is wonderful. You know, I, and I'm going to switch gears just a, a wee little bit. Uh, but uh, talking about uh, the situation in Canada right now, where we we have a situation when it comes to conscience on the the whole vaccine issue right now. What's the situation in the United States when it comes to religious exemptions for employees? The answer is still being played out. There are two major United States Supreme Court decisions, mm. uh, one involving the OSHA mandate that required employers of a certain size to require their employees to be vaccinated or masked, but the masking and uh, testing was so uh, onerous that it was really a vaccination requirement. And then there's the HHS, Health and Human Services mandate with regard to hospitals that are and healthcare institutions that are funded in part by the United States. The uh, OSHA mandate was struck down and the HHS mandate was upheld. Both of these were not final, but preliminary matters, essentially a preliminary injunction. Right. In order to win a preliminary injunction, you have to show the probability of, of winning on the merits, right. you know, and so uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said that with regard to the OSHA mandate, we had a probability of winning on, on the merits. That is, we meaning those that would, would challenge uh, the mandate. And the real the real fate, fatal aspect of the OSHA mandate was that we had some federal administrative agency telling all these employers that they must fire their employees if they didn't didn't comply. And the Supreme Court essentially said, where do you get that authority? You know, mm -hmm. you're not Congress. Congress didn't specifically uh, give you that that authority. Right. With regard to HHS, even though it was an administrative agency, nevertheless, it was controlling the money. And so the, the court denied the preliminary injunction. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, these could continue on OSHA after the loss by the uh, before the Supreme Court dropped the injunction, but not right away. In fact, this is one of the interesting things. My former student who is the chief to the Virginia Attorney General, when the Virginia Attorney General took office, he asked the Supreme Court, uh, he asked, excuse me, OSHA to drop its mandate 
given its loss before the Supreme Court. He was with a number of other attorney generals, and so OSHA dropped it. Mm. But individual employers can still uh, require this. A number of employees were just fired in New York. I've actually looked at the uh, the New York contract that, that is for educational employees. It is overtly unconstitutional. I, I don't want to get in the technicality of, of, yeah. of labor law in New York, but this religious exemption essentially said that if your church doesn't support you, you're not entitled to an accommodation. Right. Well, the Adventist church would be considered not to support you because they issued pro-vaccination statements. Right, right. So, I, mean, I, I don't think the church should be doing this. And to the extent that they're harming their members, I think that's inappropriate. Are, are there other churches uh, doing the same thing? Are there other? Oh, yes. uh, there, there are all sorts of churches are doing doing this. For, for some reason, other churches yeah. think they should pile on and say, well, you know, vaccination is, is good. But see, the problem is you have to distinguish between two things. There are all sorts of good things in the United States and in Canada that are not mandated. Right. Yeah, and therein lies the problem. When you tell someone you must do good in order to, to keep your job, well, you know, uh, doing good involves you being injected with a, uh, with a drug that uh, no one knows what the, the, the future will, will be. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, just full disclosure, I have now been injected three times voluntarily. You know, uh, my son's a physician. He, he, he recommended that given my, my advanced age. But this is significantly different, doing something voluntarily and involuntarily. Right. And so we right. need to understand the coercion of conscience that is involved in this. Right. In Canada right now, it's um, it's a situation where you, uh, the unvaccinated are unable to fly. They're not able. So in that, all of the federal regulated uh, industry of transportation, which um, will be the um, uh, the ferry system, the trains and the planes, you're unable to fly still. And uh, also, we're unable to leave the country. Uh, that's an, another problem for the unvaccinated. They can't leave Canada in the United States now. The Biden administration has agreed with the Trudeau government not to allow Canadians cross the U.S. border, which is a problem for for many Canadians. I don't even know how many Canadians that affects, but there's a significant number. And there have been some who have basically done a run on the border. And um, uh, f- for some, they've been able to cross because they weren't asked a question. And But that's, uh, I think, starting to get tightened up now because I've heard other people who've gone recently to try and ultimately return back. Even uh, one lady shared with me that she was going down to the U.S. for her son's wedding. And you can imagine the disappointment that that she had to turn away from that. I mean, you know, there's some real uh, harm being done to people who are unvaccinated. And of course, we also have a situation where our own prime ministers call the unvaccinated the racist, misogynist, anti-science. And then he asked the question, how do we deal with these people? That's something that uh, is still ringing in the ears of Canadians. Well, Barry, I want you to look at this. I, I consider this to be an extraordinarily serious situation. I, I believe, I mean, first of all, this is unprecedented in my lifetime. Yeah. And it's 
as I said, this is my 46th year of litigation. So I've been around for, for a while. Revelation tells of a time when uh, followers of Jesus can neither buy nor sell because of their religious beliefs. Mm. I mean, some individuals are not being vaccinated because of their religious beliefs, but look at the authority the government is asserting. This is in play. This is a stalking horse, as far as I'm concerned, for that, because the government now asserts the authority to keep you from being able to travel, the authority to keep you from participating in family matters, the authority from doing your job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recently read that they were attacking the, uh, seizing the bank accounts without any process for those involved in the truckers. This is absolutely positively a demonstration of the power of government to do this to its individuals. And so what remains to protect Christians from the revelation prophecy? Mm. Nothing, mm-hmm. you know, nothing. And so that's why, you know, I'm fighting. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm speaking out a number of, of, uh, of, of uh, events against the mandate. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like it is here as in Canada, but nevertheless, these are, unpro- I mean, in the United States, we didn't even discuss this, but but at the beginning of COVID, uh, the state of California and the state of New York thought they had the ability to stop worship. In fact, there were a number right. of states that said you right. cannot worship together. California regulated being able to, to sing and what have you. The idea that the state has superior wisdom over mm-hmm. the church on whether or not it should meet together and what's in the best interest of the members is just just unbelievable to mm-hmm. me that mm-hmm. they would assert this this authority it took the united states supreme court to stop this mm-hmm. and and they didn't stop it completely i mean there's still you know a majority said well you can you know regulate uh, uh, singing you know barry this is extremely bad mm-hmm. for the future of religious liberty and everyone involved in religious liberty needs to fight i agree with you 100% on that and and it's something that um uh, we are doing here at First Freedoms Foundation, just wanting to let people know the state of freedom. And I think part of the problem is, is that people, it's kind of like we we hear this uh, story over and over again about the frog in the kettle, but it's kind of like we we get accustomed to our limitations for many people who can't fly. I mean, th- th- there was a time actually uh, during the heat of this matter, you could, couldn't even leave your province because there were provincial boundaries were were held tight, and there were uh, literally police on the borders not allowing uh, interprovincial travel. I mean, it's just like <laughs> it's just phenomenal when we've seen what uh, what's going on. And of course, you know they've they've been uh, it's all because of the emergency of health and all and all the rest of it. Uh, but um, yeah, let yeah. me ask you, who gives these? bureaucrats the authority to do this the right. i assume in canada these are not elected officials that's correct so, so yeah. how are they exercising the power of the citizens in canada i yeah, mean it's yeah. just, this this is part of the problem in the united states unelected bureaucrats someone in the health department thinks yeah. that they can 
shut down your church. I find that intolerable. It's something that is going to be litigated, but the courts in Canada have been extremely slow in advancing the the cases. And even the granting of hearing dates have been put off into such a a long time. It's, It's incredible. I had one lawyer share with me a situation where he was uh, representing a young student who wanted to to play in sports. I believe it was a hockey league. Obviously, we play hockey in the wintertime. And uh, the earliest date he was given, this was in January, uh, December or January, and the earliest date he was given was November. I mean, it's like... Uh, like, like we're not even in the realm of reality, it seems, uh, when it comes to, to these kinds of things. And there, there is an individual right now who has, as a result of what happened with the truckers, he himself now has left Vancouver, working his way across Canada. He's going to be in Ottawa by Canada Day, July 1. And he's now creating a, some noise and uh, signal, I guess I should say, uh, with respect to uh, the issue. Uh, but the mainstream media in Canada, of course, are not paying any attention to him or very little. Uh, but uh, people are following him in uh, the social media realm. It's just fascinating as we as we see this. Now, I just want to you shared something with me recently that that I just was like, Wow. Uh, have we really come to this? And and uh, you you shared that you're boycotting Canada. Yeah. Yes. I, I. You know, my family and I used to love to vacation in Canada. We love we love Prince Edward Island, and uh, Canada is a, a beautiful country. And and uh, uh, we we would go up there, and we had a couple of motorhomes. We'd go up there in a motorhome, and we'd uh, drive on the Trans Canadian Highway, the the mighty Trans Canadian. Uh, Reminded me in some places of like a circus ride because there'd be the, the bumps in the road. Or we don't have anything like that at main freeways in the, in the United States. So I thought my motorhome at one point was going to become airborne as we're going <laughs> down the the, uh, the the road. But but I won't I won't I won't travel in Canada anymore. I, I, I'm you know it's 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 one of my general policies in life to avoid if possible subsidizing corporations that are acting uh, inconsistently with religious freedom, that are harming uh, religious freedom or, or, or political freedom. Mm. And as far as I'm concerned, the entire country of Canada is acting inconsistent with religious and political freedom. I mean, starting with uh, the prohibition on a Christian law school that that teaches you know, very non-controversial, as far as the Christian world is concerned, views on on marriage. I mean, you know, this is these are biblically centrist views, uh, and uh, you know what's what's going on with uh, you know freezing the accounts, uh, various things. You know, years ago when I'd be up in Canada, I would be taken aback by news stories about the fires up there because that was a big thing. Uh, often when we were traveling, be fires. And then where they were on Christianity and homosexuality, you know, so one teacher wrote a letter to the editor about the biblical views on, 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 on homosexuality, and he lost his teaching license. And so mm-hmm. I'm simply not going to go off that. We, we noticed, as probably uh, all of your Canadian audience notices, uh, you have high taxes up there. And so, uh, you know, sales tax is not only federal, but, but the provincial. 
And so a substantial amount of what I would spend up there would go to the government. And although I don't want to injure individual Canadians, particularly, you know, Christian Canadians, nevertheless, a substantial amount of what I would 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 pay would be uh, would be for taxes. I actually remember that there's some sort of form where you can get some of your taxes back. Right, the, right. Yeah, for GST, at, I think. At the yeah. end of this. But, but the bottom line is I'm simply unwilling to, to uh, fund or promote the, the government of, of Canada. They're mm. just, as far as I'm concerned, they're enemies of religious freedom. Mm. And, and, I, and I won't, uh, and I try to avoid promoting those who are enemies of religious freedom. I, as a Canadian, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I'd like to <laughs> have as many tourists. <laughs> I'd like to have as many tourists as possible to come up and visit us and and increase the economy. But uh, you know, I I fully respect people who make these decisions. I mean, uh, it's it's almost. Uh, would you say it's almost kind of a, a kind of a reverse or a, a kind of like a cancel culture? Uh, Mindset in the sense that okay, I don't agree with them, so therefore I'm not going to support them. But I, but I mean, we see this everywhere, right? In society, in I, I understand the similarity to uh, cancel culture, except it's it's much different. I mean, every individual has an obligation. Every Christian has an obligation to promote good and avoid evil, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and so uh, what's going on with cancel culture is if you disagree with me politically. Uh, then I will take your job from you. I think that's immoral. But right. but 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 if you say, well, look, with regard to living my life, right. I'm not firing anyone. I'm not taking their job from them. Right. Theor- theoretically, I'm just saying, how can I live my life to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can I live my life to avoid promoting sin? And so this is much much different. And so. This is one of the things where I think Christianity discriminates. We discriminate between good and evil, Jesus and Satan, heaven and hell. And uh, the, the new theory for many, many young people is a life of non-discrimination. Mm-hmm. It's unbiblical, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, it's, and, and it's antithetical, antithetical to the, the, the Christian life. And so I discriminate. You know, I discriminate between good, good and evil. And if I can go someplace where, you know, I think I'm, I'm helping, I will go there. And if I think I'm harming, uh, I'll try to avoid going there. You recognize, um, and I just want to make this clear for all those who are watching that, I mean, you're an an advocate of freedom and, and uh, individuals can uh, choose how they want to live their lives. What you're saying is for your own personal understanding and belief you you are to be respected for your beliefs as you respect others with theirs right i mean that's right well i'm not suggesting that the government should enforce my views you know on 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 good and evil yeah but i'm thinking that bruce cameron (laughs) should enforce his views on good and evil there is after all a god in heaven who calls me to account for for my actions and right. so I think that's completely different than religious freedom in, in general. I, I wholly support the right of people to reject Christianity. I mean, mm-hmm. that is the Garden of Eden, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the, at, the, at the Garden of Eden story. Right. You look at right. where the two trees were. Right. God agreed with Satan to allow this choice to take place. 
I'm yeah. fully in favor of choice. I'm fully in favor of uh, my own choices. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's, it's um, for many people, these kinds of conversations are very difficult because they have their own views. Everyone has their own views. But uh, we, if we're going to, I always use this uh, idea that, you know, we, we come from various backgrounds. We have various ideas of what it means to be free, what it means to be, you know, a citizen, what it means to be a religious person or a Christian or whatever. Uh, but what we have to do is uh, recognize we have differences. We're on the same piece of real estate, in my case, here in Canada and yours down in the United States. But with so many, with such a diversity of views and understandings and ways of life, we have to figure out how we can get along because it's extremely important to be able to have civil peace. And, and, but it's not civil peace by not engaging in conversation or not engaging in, you know, freedom of expression, freedom of association, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, and so forth. It's being able to have these conversations and not be condemning and seeking to destroy the other. And that's, that to me, that spirit that we see often is, uh, is a very big issue and a very big problem in the modern society, it seems. Right. It, it all goes back to the freedom to choose, right? right? I mean, I let you choose your opinion. You let me choose my opinion. Right. You let me choose my religious practice, and I'll let you choose your religious practice. Yeah. You know, I don't have to support your religious practice. I might not want to support your religious practice. And I, I may, as we just discussed, affirmatively choose not to support your, your, your practice. But what I do support is your freedom to choose. Right. Key to the gospel. Well, Bruce, I just want to thank you so very much for this um, opportunity to be able to chat about uh, a wide ranging uh, amount of issues here, <laughs> but but uh, but very engaging and very substantive. And uh, I just uh, want to thank you for the great work that you're doing down at Regent. And please say hello to the faculty for me, for those that I met uh, some time ago. And and uh, it was a great opportunity. I hope someday to be able to uh, come down and visit again. But um, you have you have an open invitation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And for those of you who've been watching again, I want to thank you for watching Freedom Feature. And as you have heard, perhaps you don't agree with me or with any of my guests. But that's the whole point of Freedom Feature is we want open, transparent and honest dialogue And that's what we've had today. And I want to thank you for being with us. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca